Is resistance a good thing or a bad thing? Well, depending on the situation, it can be both. I heard a podcaster say about a week ago that if you resist something, it's because you really, really want it. Nothing could be farther from the truth. We resist because we're afraid. We don't know what's going to happen next. We think we're losing control. And the only way we know how to manage or stop change is to resist. So let's talk about resistance, why it can be useful and beneficial, and how you can use resistance to learn about your greatest fears, your most powerful limiters, and what you are most afraid of. Welcome to the High Vibes Living Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hoffman, your host, and I want to show you how to create your rich, happy, and successful life. Since 2004, I've been teaching soul-congruent, mind-expanding, wholeness living to a global audience. I'm known as the world's most accurate intuitive, the iconic energy savant, a best-selling author of eight books, the expert on energy boundaries, alignment, integration, and intention. And I'm the founder of the Becoming 360 Method of Transformation. I'm here to motivate, inspire, and energize you to embrace your full potential, upsource your possibilities, revive your life, and shine your light brightly. Thank you for joining me on this week's High Vibes Living Podcast. And I hope you'll learn something that tunes you into your high vibes and motivates, energizes, and inspires you and shines some light on your journey. Let's get started. Why do we resist change? The simple answer is that it it upsets the status quo. It takes us out of our comfort zone. We don't know what's going to happen when we do change, and we're scared. I think if we acknowledge the simple truth that we're scared of change because we just don't know if we can deal with it or what's going to happen to us, we would stop trying to pretend to be brave about it and look at change as a step-by-step process instead of a chaotic mess that we can avoid by being resistant to change. You know the expression, what we resist persists, and that's not necessarily true. What we resist doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean that the spark of a new awakened potential doesn't still beckon us to consider it as an option. We can have the light of an awakened potential blinding us with its brilliance, but if we're scared, we're going to close our eyes and ignore it as long as we can. What does it mean to resist? Well, the word resist means to remain standing or to oppose an action. So when we resist, we are in opposition. And that's a good position to be in when we feel we do not have enough information to say yes to change and no to the status quo. We rather like the status quo. It's what we know, where we can anticipate the future, and it's where we feel that we're in control. Sometimes we resist out of a desire to affirm our control, even if that is not the best option. Sometimes we resist because we don't trust ourselves to handle the change. We can resist because we're more afraid of success and of what it will do to our lives than we are of staying where we are or experiencing failure. I've had this come up quite a few times with clients. And it has come up in my own life and in many people that I know. And you know, it probably is on a very unconscious level part of yours. Change, getting out of the status quo, making 
material alterations to our reality, becoming successful, making more money, doing something that helps us stand out, makes us what? A target. If you were raised in a household where you were the different one, where you had a jealous parent, especially a jealous mother, where your mother considered herself your adversary, this makes becoming outstanding or standing out rather dangerous to you. So in order to not become a target of their jealousy, of their persecution, of things that you may not remember, but that once happened to you, you'll stay just under the radar, meaning you won't have too much money, too much fame, too much excitement, too much of anything, so you don't attract their attention. It's a lot safer that way. You can control your reality and you can then manage the process of change in a way that doesn't disrupt your fragile relationships with people who really don't have your best interests at heart. And I know that's hard to understand and it's hard to accept because these are the people who are supposed to love you and support you and be kind and compassionate with you. And if you are like me and many other people, they are the last people in the world to do this, as you well know, and probably unfortunately know. But when you take that position of resistance and you resist any change that will put you up above the horizon and make them more aware of you and all of a sudden you have new things or you're more empowered or you're more confident and then you become their target, when you resist that level of transformation, you're really going against your soul mission. Your soul mission is to be the highest and best expression of your energy that you can be. And that's why you resist because you can be at a certain level. That's where you feel safe. Your next challenge is, can you go to that next level? Can you go up a few notches? Can you expand that and become something else? And this is a big issue and it's one I'd like for you to consider. So when we're more afraid of success than we are of maintaining the status quo and even being unhappy in the status quo, you know, we understand our unhappiness. We don't really know what's going to happen when we're successful. And if you have a jealous parent or jealous siblings, or you are in a family where you have been really badly treated and rejected by them, you know all too well, maybe you had done it once or twice, what happens when you do lift your head above that horizon, when you do get on their radar, the results are not good for you. But that's a consequence you're considering and yes, it may happen, but whether its potential is enough to stop you, and it may be enough to stop you now, but those opportunities will come around again and again, and eventually it won't be enough to stop you anymore. So we resist for a myriad of personal reasons, many of which have to do with being afraid. A few weeks ago, my weekly article and podcast was on the subject of truth and consequences. And I said, we allow ourselves to acknowledge truth to the extent that we are willing to accept its consequences. If the consequences are too scary, big, life-changing, or control-impacting, we'll resist the truth, even if we know it's true. Take the example of one of my clients, I'll call her Maria, who had come to me about a relationship she was desperately trying to keep together. I told her the man was cheating on her, lying to her, and would eventually leave her for someone else. She told me I was wrong. I didn't understand him. They were in love. The truth was that Maria was afraid of being alone, 
had abandonment issues and thought she could change this man into becoming a loving and committed partner. I heard from her occasionally over a two-year period, and my answer was always the same. While she was still trying to keep the relationship together in spite of being treated with great disrespect and a huge lack of consideration. Eventually, the man did leave, and Maria was devastated. When she called me again, she acknowledged that she had worked so hard, much too hard, to keep the relationship together, and had resisted my advice, as well as that of everyone she knew, to let him go. But she resisted out of fear and a desire to, as the proverb goes, turn a sow's ear into a silk purse. This man could have been anyone, though, and the situation would have been the same. Her fear of facing her life alone was the reason she held on to the relationship for so long and resisted letting it go, even though she had many reasons to. In fact, she was willing to overlook all of his bad behavior because she was so resistant to change. We resist for so many reasons. All of them are valid, and they all reflect our desire to have a particular outcome happen, no matter what we have to do to make it happen. Often, that outcome has nothing to do with the other person or the situation. It's our personal fear, belief system, or something we do not want to face that is the underlying cause of our resistance. Even if we know that it won't happen, we'll try anyway because of another fear that we get one opportunity to do this, and if we don't make the best of it and make it work, we will never get another one. Have you ever been in that situation where you're very uncomfortable and maybe even miserable in a situation, but you resist change because you don't think you'll have another opportunity? That's scarcity thinking. And isn't it interesting that while we agree that we live in an infinitely abundant universe, that doesn't extend to us and having an infinitely abundant number of opportunities in our life. I recently heard someone say on a podcast that our resistance means we really want something. Uh, no. Resistance means we do not want it right now. We are not going to allow it to happen if we can at all help it. And we are so opposed to it that we are willing to put up with all kinds of misery to avoid change. What we resist represents a transformation that we do not believe we are ready for, can control, and want to happen. Just a side note here, be careful who you follow and what they say. There are a lot of charlatans out there using soul-led, soul-source, soul-work, etc. to push themselves off as some kind of soul expert. And sometimes they say things that don't make any sense and are patently untrue. There are a lot of people out there who say things just to sound smart, knowledgeable, and cool. But there are more reasons for resistance, and two of them are very important. The first has to do with our safety and security needs, which are what makes us feel like we are in control of our reality and our environment and are not going to be surprised by any catastrophes. The second has to do with congruence, how the energy in our life fits and flows together. We will create a congruent reality with anything we need to feel safe and secure. And that either means we are able to express our highest potential and evolve into higher frequencies in an effortless, graceful way. 
or it means we are so afraid of disintegration and chaos that we will do whatever it takes to hold our vision of our reality and our comfort zone together, no matter how much effort we have to exert and whatever resistance we have to use to avoid the manifestation of our deepest fears. We create true congruence or false congruence based on how strong our resistance to change is. You can find out about true congruence and false congruence and our soul path in my book, The Five Priorities of Soul Energy Mastery. I'll put the link right here. Resistance is useful and at times very beneficial, like when we're resisting global control, medical tyranny, the erosion of our civil liberties and natural rights, and the loss of our freedoms. When we know what we are resisting and why, we can use our resistance to identify fears and to move through them. But if we resist just because we can, or because it's the only alternative we think is feasible or viable, then we're not doing ourselves any favors and we're using resistance as an excuse to avoid any kind of change or transformation. What we resist does not persist. It moves to the background until it comes up for us again when we open that window of opportunity to see if we're ready to risk the change, or maybe not. If we are so resistant to change, we will never allow ourselves to face that option again. Have you ever said, I will never do that again? How about telling yourself you'll never love again or allow yourself to be vulnerable or trust people or be shamed, humiliated or manipulated? Or remembering your most recent failure that you'll never try something new or take a risk or do something that might embarrass you or put you in a position where you're the center of attention. That happened to me when I was 15 years old. And if I had been tempted by my resistance to refuse an opportunity, I would not have had one of the most profoundly proud and satisfying experiences of my life. Let me share that story. When I was 15 years old, I was an exchange student in Augusta, Georgia. And since I was very musical, I played the flute. I also played in the high school band, and I was first-tier flute. The band was scheduled to play at an outdoor fair in Augusta right around the time of the Masters Golf Tournament. If you know, Augusta, Georgia is the home to the Masters Golf Tournament. And it was a celebration of Americana, so we were playing a lot of John Philip Sousa and different marches and things like that, all of which I love. And we were going to play John Philip Sousa's Stars and Stripes Forever. Now, if you know anything about this piece, it has a resounding piccolo solo right in the middle of the song. And Mr. Stone, our band director, told me that as first chair flute, I was to play the piccolo solo. So I needed to learn how to play the piccolo. Now, the piccolo is, yes, like a tiny flute, but it's not really like a flute. The embouchure is different. The fingering is a little bit different. And it's much harder to play and to stay on key and to play it properly so it doesn't just sound like you're whistling in the mouthpiece. Also, that piccolo solo is a solo. It's really loud. It's very clear. And if you, you can't make any mistakes. I tried and tried and tried to learn that piccolo solo. I worked so hard at it. I practiced every day. And after a couple of weeks, I told Mr. Stone, I just can't do this. And he looked at me and he said, I know you can do it. I also know you're afraid. What are you afraid of? Well, if you know my history, I was paralyzed by a vaccine as a child and I was in the wheelchair. I wore leg braces. I was always the person everyone pointed at and said, what's wrong with her? 
I hated being the center of attention because it was always about what was wrong with me. Playing this piccolo solo in front of thousands of people. And by the way, we were playing on a barge in the middle of the river at this fair where there would be thousands of people. It was just too much for me. So I told Mr. Stone I would for somebody else play it. He said, you know what? I want you to keep on practicing. Meanwhile, I'm going to have Joyce, who is second chair flute, I'm going to have her practice it too. Well, I'm not terribly competitive, but I'm somewhat competitive. So giving me someone to compete against, I knew that I had the opportunity to do this. I might as well give it my best shot. So I tried harder. I practiced more. And finally, I got it. Just one day, that piccolo solo just literally came out of me and I could play it. So we, of course, we were practicing in band over and over again so that everybody could play their parts perfectly. And I finally got to the point where I could play that piccolo solo effortlessly and without a single mistake. Now, I was playing in the band room with all my band friends. I wasn't out in front of a bunch of strangers standing on a barge in the middle of the river. And by the way, you have to stand up when you play solos. All eyes were going to be on me. The big day came. I was so nervous. And I had you know, both instruments, my flute, because you know, I was playing the flute while we were playing the regular song. And then I had to get my piccolo, stand up, and play from memory because I was standing up. I had, had that piece memorized. I'm on the barge. It's hot. I'm sweating. I'm so nervous. We're playing the song, and then it comes time for the piccolo solo. So I stand up put the piccolo to my lips. I'm standing there and Mr. Stone points to me and I start playing. I don't remember playing that song. My fingers just automatically touched the keys and I just blew into the mouthpiece and I just hoped that everything turned out okay. It was like I was transported outside myself. I was scared. I was excited. It was just this surreal moment where I was in the zone. I played it and I sat down in my chair and I hear this applause, this applause that came from everywhere. You only have to play this, the part as a solo once, and then you have to play it again in the rest of the song. And it was one of the last songs that we played. So after this concert was over, we pulled up to the bank, everybody got off. And of course, all our families were there, and everybody was saying, what a wonderful job we did. And so many people came up to me and said how beautiful that was and how they could hear that piccolo solo for yards and yards and yards down the river. In fact, it even brought people up to where we were playing because they could hear that piccolo solo. It was so clear and it was so beautiful. And as they all said, you played it so perfectly. That was decades ago. Every time I hear John Philip Sousa's Stars and Stripes Forever, I see myself standing on that barge, scared and excited at the same time, playing that solo by myself, perfectly. I had practiced so hard for it. I had been willing to take a risk to be the center of attention. I made myself proud. I made my band members proud. I made Mr. Stone proud. We gave a great concert. And it's a moment in my life that I am profoundly proud of and profoundly satisfied with because I was willing to overcome my resistance to being the center of attention. What if I made a mistake? Everybody would hear it. There's no way to not hear a mistake if you're playing that piccolo solo in the Stars and Stripes Forever. What if I froze? Luckily, my second chair flute, Joyce, was there with another piccolo just in case something happened because you can't play that song without that piccolo solo. 
I overcame my resistance and all the fear that went along with it and all of the things that were behind it. And I did it anyway. And as I said, it is the most profoundly proud and satisfying moment of my life, one that I truly cherish and that I will remember forever. What we do in those situations where resistance is the deciding factor is we just don't get involved or we don't get distracted by the possibility of new potentials rather than making more empowered, self-aware choices. We limit our exposure to potential safety and security risks by resisting change and limiting our access to life experiences rather than limiting our exposure to our fears and their consequences by exploring them, identifying them, and then making more empowered and empowering choices and refusing to be limited by our resistance. But our resistance is a useful tool if we use it to explore our true fears and the consequences that fuel them, where we feel we aren't enough or are not willing to allow transformation. Resistance to anything means there's a consequence we cannot face at that time. And that means our resistance is shining a light on limiting beliefs, attitudes, thoughts, experiences, and any other factor that is cautioning us to avoid moving forward and go back to what we know. The false congruence of our comfort zone with its known safety and security parameters, rather than expanding our energy to meet our soul's call to rise and shine. Thanks so much for tuning in to the High Vibes Living Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hoffman, your host. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that it has inspired, motivated, and energized you to take a few steps towards your rich, happy, and successful life. If you need more inspiration for your life path, check out my eight best-selling books on Amazon or look at a transformational intuitive session, coaching, or program on my website, enlighteninglife.com. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter and join my over 5 million weekly blog readers. Please subscribe to the High Vibes Living Podcast. Give it a like and a review. Your acknowledgement helps others find us and get the information and inspiration they need to turn their pain into joy and their fear into confidence. Your Becoming 360 transformation into congruence and divine harmony is a step away, as is your rich, happy, and successful life. Join us each week for a new episode, and I look forward to our next time together.